Hello and welcome to the Quality Insights podcast. My name is Jen Husden and today I'm here with Alan Warns for a Spotlight on Leadership discussion about Alan's experience within the clinical research industry. Okay, so the first question is about you and how did you get into the clinical research industry and what career path did you take? Well, it's a little bit unusual, really. I started off as a microbiologist and went on to do my PhD. So I did a lot of work in virology and headed up a measles unit in academia. I then went to work in industry after that, a small biotech firm, starting off from scratch, then ending up generating positive income for the company in about five years, which was pretty good work. And then moved uh, on to uh, an administrative post in the NHS. And the reason why I applied for that was it was really to help the academic element of the hospital to move into Imperial College. And it was really interesting doing that. I met uh, quite a few interesting people in that process. And after that, uh, the role came up for R&D manager in the same trust. And I applied and obtained that. And I worked my way up over a period of time to become the assistant director of R&D. So that's a background, brief background or synopsis of my history. And really? how I got involved in clinical research. So it was just by chance, really. Yes. Um, and what would you say, sort of now you're in that industry, or sort of anyway, what drives and motivates you most? Working in academia and industry and then the NHS, I realised that the complexity of working in research in NHS is a degree higher than those other areas. It really is a complex issue working in that uh, specific field. And because of the complexity, there are usually things that go wrong because it is quite complex. And it's when things go wrong, it's solving those problems to make it work a lot better by putting new things in place or to updating them. And things never stay the same. So it's always keeping an eye on things and making sure you can try and enhance or improve the way things are actually done. And looking at this, it's better for the workforce and it's also better for patient care. And what would you consider to be the biggest achievement in your career? I've had quite a few successes, really, both in academia and industry. As I said, uh, turning things around in five years was no mean feat. But really, it's moving from one to the other. And it's understanding, I think, not just the communication, but the languages involved in working in the different areas. Moving from one area to the other, from academia to industry, from in industry to the NHS, it was really a question of understanding not just the communication, but the languages behind each communication needs to be broke down to languages and it's no good communicate if you cannot understand the language and I think what I was able to do is utilize my skills to understand the languages and be able to then communicate and do things effectively especially in the NHS and to actually move things forward and I think that's why you know it was really good then to develop the team uh, to make really good contacts to make sure we got the extra money to get extra staff in and that resulted in us having a really excellent research team in the trust and where they uh, uh, recruited over 22,000 patients, which was no mean feat for the size of hospital that we actually were. And it was great an opportunity for patients to be involved in that research. One of the things that happens when you work in academia and moving to a diff totally different environment like industry, for instance, it's a totally different way of working. As I said, it's understanding the communication, the language that goes with it and how you actually do things. And one of the best compliments that was paid to me after I actually left that organization to go to the NHS from the CEO was, we didn't know whether you'd be able to do it. And I said, what do you mean? You didn't know how 
be able to do it. He said, whether you'd be able to make the transformation from working in academia to industry, but you've done it brilliantly. You've turned things around starting from scratch with very minimal support, and now you're making a profit for the company. And it was really great to see you actually achieve that. And what do you think was the, the key to your success? Was it determination or this communication angle you mentioned earlier? It's a, it's a combination of things, really. First of all, you, you, you've got your basic background knowledge and skills, which are absolutely mm -hmm. crucial, and being able to judge, make judgments about what is the best thing to tackle, where and when, and what things to develop if you're developing new diagnostics, for instance. But as well as that, it's understanding what you need to do to give the other people in the team what they actually need to make it work. And again, it goes back to that language of communication and being able to deliver what they want you to deliver, not what you think you should deliver to give them. Absolutely. So you've talked about that move from academia to industry. You know, it, it's not uncommon to, for people to make that transition. If you were speaking to someone who was about to make that move or thinking about it, what would be your one piece of advice for them? Well, it's happened to me a few times. We've had uh, quite a few people from our department who became highly skilled and then they've moved on to industry. And basic, my uh, word of advice was it's going to be a lot easier. Right. <laughs> so relax and enjoy it. Yeah. So we've sort of begun to touch on this, but um, it'd be good to go into a little bit more detail. But you've been involved in a number of pioneering initiatives. It would be easier for many to follow the status quo. Why is pioneering change so important to you? I think it's really wanting to be able to not just let things drift as they are, even though you not know they're not right. And it's to try and put in place using your skills and knowledge and judgment about how you can actually improve things for the better. But not only just improve them, but make sure that they're sustained. It's no good making change unless you can actually sustain it. One of the things I got involved in, because at the time when clinical research started off with best research for best health in the NHS, there was a great shortage of pharmacists, especially at the high level, those that are QPs, qualified persons. And they're the people that actually sign off the manufacturer of drugs for trials. And basically, there was a lot of money at that time to actually spend on pharmacists. But the problem was you couldn't hire them because there wasn't staff there to actually do that. So I got involved with uh, the School of Pharmacy, for instance, also the local CRM, the NIHR CRM, who helped us fund that in the first instance. And from that, we were able to set up a training program for highly skilled pharmacists to undertake their QP fibers and exams to pass them and to uh, become successful and to support clinical trials. And from that day, we've had now over 30 go through the process wow. and obtain their QPs. And it was really interesting because what we found out when we were doing it was that when the NHS staff were going through to become QPs, everything was aligned to industry. Everything, the whole process, the questions, the examiners, everything was geared towards industry. Now we have NHS examiners, which has really started to change things around. So it's doing things like that made a big, big difference. And it wasn't an easy thing to do. I could have sat back, but I really had the drive and determination to try and turn things around for the better. And that's a really good example of why I actually like to get involved in initiatives and try and make a real positive impact on how things work. Amazing. Um, no, that's a really nice example of actually a, a practical solution, you know, identifying an issue, finding a practical solution and, um, and as you say, something sustainable as well. Exactly. It's still all going now and uh, I hope them, 
moving on from year to year. And the great thing was why it was such a success was we work with industry, we work with academia, and we work with the NHS, brought them all together, and they all worked together to make it work. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, so I don't know whether this is the same thing, but the next question is about what is the biggest challenge you've needed to overcome in your career? There's a lot. <laughs> there is a lot. Yeah. There are some that spring to mind. I'll give you a couple of examples, both in the NHS. The first was obviously dealing with the Paracel incident. I was the uh, person directly involved in research who worked with the CEO of the trust to uh, ensure we worked our way through that. And it was a lot of hard work. Uh, it was under a lot of pressure. And I think by and large, we actually handled it very, very well indeed. And I was really proud to be part of trying to support the trust, the staff and the patients and health work then out. Although my contact with the patient was obviously very minimal, but the staff mm. ourselves and the uh, working with the CEO and the trust was really, really important and uh, worked very, very well indeed. The other thing, which is totally different, was with research, as you might be aware, a lot of people receive grant awards and funding to help them do the research. And we were very fortunate to be awarded two research grants from the EU. And obviously, if you don't fulfill the obligations of the research, then you have to pay a certain amount of the funding back. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had two of these running concurrently, overlapping. And we got three quarters of the way through the first one, and we got 40% of the way through the second one. And then the lead investigator died. Oh, gosh. Involved huge turmoil within the uh, structure of the post supporting the studies. And basically, I had to step in, utilize my skills to ensure that uh, the work was carried out to a certain degree, whereby we were able to submit the work, which allowed us to not be involved in any repayments. So it was a, a very, very difficult task working under extremely difficult circumstances to turn that around to try and make sure that we fulfilled our obligations with introducing new staff at the right place to make sure that we could complete what we were supposed to do so that we didn't actually incur any financial penalties. And I've never, ever been in a situation like that before. And it was totally unique. Uh, the EU had difficulty in working with it as well, but they were very understanding and very helpful. And uh, they allowed us to complete the work in the time frame that they allotted us, which was really great. I guess the key to you turning that round was that you had that skill set. So it was more reviewing, critically reviewing the situation and what your resources were, including you, to find a solution. That was really what helped you navigate that. That, that's correct. And also bringing the right staff uh, and utilising the staff that was all already there to uh, make sure that the work was completed. So that meant uh, asking people to do things which were above and beyond what their remit was at the time. And to also, as I said, bring new people in to bridge some of those gaps and work with them. But it was a highly charged political environment. And I think all in all, everybody could be very proud of themselves to the fact that we actually completed what we had to do for the EU uh, to make sure that we were not penalised, which would have been devastating, to be honest, especially with mm. both the financial aspects. and how. That yeah, absolutely. Been. No, I appreciate that. Um, and then just on the Parexcel example, so you said sort of the navigation around that situation came down to a lot of hard work and you were sort of working directly with the CRO and you got a lot of support from the trust. Is there anything from that that you think is a tangible output 
that would be good advice for someone to share, whether it was in issue preparedness or they're going through uh, some sort of situation that could in some way be comparable? What is it that helped you? Is there any sort of tangible points we can pull out? Being able to make sure that you are uh, working within the guidelines and the structure of clinical research is as simple as that. And it's just to stick to those guns and not deviate from it. So in practical terms, it was a very simple exercise. It was just the external pressure was absolutely huge. Okay. Um, you have been very much involved in the Global Clinical Site Accreditation Initiative, GCSA. Um, why did you get involved and what problems do you believe this initiative will address? Well, again, I, I got involved by chance. When uh, Best Research for Best uh, Health started out, we had to obviously support GCP training. At the time, there was no online systems, etc., that sort of thing. So we had to use our own mechanisms to make sure that staff were trained appropriately. And what we used to do is bring in consultants to deliver those training. One of them was a guy called Martin Robertson, who used to work with IOACR. Mm -hmm. At some point down the line, I used to get involved. So I used to actually sit in the meetings with them. So I've been trained to GCP standard more times than I can care to mention, because every time we had one, two or three times a year, I used to sit in those meetings. And Martin said it was really good, because when he was talking about things with regards to GCP, he could put them into a local context with my support in outlining what was going on within the local organization. So it was really good how we actually worked together. And we really appreciate that, I think. So when there was a IOACR think tank meeting, he must have invited me along to one of those. And it was really great to be involved. Uh, it was trying to understand what they were trying to do. And it's not easy to just suddenly grasp an idea and then say, oh, this is what we could do. Uh, it took me a little bit of time, but with my knowledge from my previous mechanisms of working and the issues that have been developing on pharmacy training, etc., I realized that this could be a great opportunity for the accreditation process that applied to industry to be applied to the NHS. In other words, just like the pharmacy training with regards to industry in the NHS, to level that playing field. And that was really my first idea about how we could actually then work together. And I was very keen to then have further meetings with the IOACR to see if there's any scope in actually chasing this out. Okay. Um, it's nice, actually, there's sort of parallels, like you say, with um, other parts of your career and how learnings from one thing you've, you've applied to other future things, which you didn't necessarily see on the horizon, but that, as you said, have come to you, which is really, it's really nice to see. Um, how do you think the clinical research work in the NHS can influence the international e industry and particularly your, your CROs and that side of the industry? As I said, you know, working with the IOACR, I think if we can actually get the accreditation sorted out within the NHS, so it's on a par for the workforce and the processes in, with industry, I think that's a great opportunity of levelling out the playing fields. And what that suddenly does is it leads to developing confidence and trust with industry and the NHS. And it also helps, I'll go back to languages again, it helps improve the languages between the two because they don't understand each other. They're both working. I mean, the NHS is not working to support the commercial organization pharma. They're working there to treat patients, and this is a byproduct. But if we can actually have within the systems where they've got the same staff working to the same processes that have been accredited so we know that they're working to the same standards, this mm -hmm. should develop confidence and trust between the two parties. 
And hopefully that will then lead to further work going from one to the other, from industry to the NHS. And I really feel very strongly that this is a really great positive way of moving towards and supporting the international industry and showing what the NHS can actually do to support them. Um, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you think could be done to improve public confidence and participation in clinical research? Well, I think that's already started to happen, to be honest. Um, with regards to the coronavirus pandemic, I think that's really highlighted how well research can actually make things better for everybody. And I think that's been on the news. Ordinary people have seen this. And I think it would be great if the government could push this further and make sure that research does come on the agenda for ordinary people to actually say, because that's who you need to get involved in re clinical research, ordinary people. And I think one of the best ways forward would be to actually have clinical consent forms to also include a, a consent element for research so that patients can be approached about research and that'd be a great step forward and if the DH could come together to actually make this a national uh, mechanism and to promote it uh, just like what's happened with coronavirus I think that'd be a great way of moving things forward and making things a lot more better for patient involvement in research. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found it really fascinating seeing the topic of clinical research over the last few months and how people have viewed it. And it, you're right, it, there's been a pivot, hasn't there? From Yeah, very much has. Everybody's been watching on the TV. It's yeah. there. We've yeah. now got more researchers involved in clinical trials than anywhere else in the world. And we've recruited 1,000, 2,000 patients, etc. in a short space of time. I think it's a great advertisement. And, you know, having people that have been involved in research on the TV saying why they're getting involved, why they want to make a contribution as well has been really, really good. And I think mm -hmm. it gets over that guinea pig attitude. Uh, and it's important that, with that without clinical trials, we wouldn't be able to treat people appropriately. It'd be as simple as that. And anything the government could do to promote that, I think, would be absolutely great. Because there have been uh, people tr and organisations trying to promote this, and it's been very, very difficult because they just haven't got the right agenda and the environment to actually let people know about on a global scale, or on an interna international scale, really. It is. It's, it's fascinating, the change that happens when something might directly affect you, that you start to, you, you know, like the pandemic, which is sort of unprecedented in most people's yeah. lifetimes and how yeah. that has people are suddenly open to clinical research and it's exactly what you say about how it's um, yeah. it's not guinea pigs anymore it's lifesavers people yeah. you know really contributing and actually that's what it has been but unless, unless you've not experienced that in your own little world it's hard to hard for many yeah. to appreciate it yeah and ordinary people are seeing it on tv it's fantastic it's really really great advertisement for research yeah i know absolutely um, what people or organisations within clinical research inspire you and why? One of the best ones really is uh, looking at what Professor Dame Sally Davis has done in introducing best research for best health. Because in the good old days, uh, there was a lot of funding going towards research, but it was never getting there. And what she did by introducing best research for best health was the money did go to research. And that had a fantastic, positive impact on supporting research and getting the amount of patients into clinical trials, which has gone from strength to strength over the years, which is absolutely incredible. And what would you, what advice would you give to someone who's starting out in their clinical research career? I think it's, it's a great environment to work in. It's highly rewarding, but I think the main thing is, is to look at how you're working and things around you and how they're actually evolving as well. 
and to look at ways not just to carry on doing things blindly, but to actually look at the way you're doing things and other ways of actually improving it. And by asking questions about this, it really makes you think a lot more about the work you're actually doing. But to actually make a change, you really need to talk to your managers to get their support, for you to tell them what you want to do to try and improve things, get them on board, which improves your communication and language skills, which is absolutely really great. And then even small changes can make a big difference. Absolutely. If you could change one thing about the clinical research industry, what would it be? I would like to see the same training and processes used in both the NHS and industry through accreditation. And what this does is it demonstrates that everybody's on the same path. Might not be exactly identical, but we know that they've got the same skill set. They're working to the same levels and same standards using very similar processes. And that's really the best way forward. Yes. Yeah. And then what are your next steps and plans? And I guess the one thing with this in particular is you've mentioned already sort of how many sort of big moments you've had in your career. So I would also sort of add what are your next steps, plans and ambitions for, for the future? So, I mean, really, I would like to make sure is what I said in the last question was to see if we can actually make this actually work to try and make sure that the training and process and systems using the NHS are actually comparable with industry. And the only way we can do that is through accreditation. And if the more I can do to make that work and show it to success, I think that would be absolutely fantastic achievement for me in particular and the team itself, and uh, not just the team, but all the organizations that's going to be involved in it. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a strong challenge. I think there's a great team working to support it and make it work. And uh, I have every confidence that it will work because I know it's going to produce fantastic dividends for everybody, including mm. patients, which is going to be great. Absolutely. And um, is there any other words of wisdom you'd like to share, given your expertise and experience? One thing I have learned Working in the NHS, never assume anything. As soon as you assume something, it will go wrong. Thank you for listening in. This has been the Quality Insights Podcast with Jen Husden and Alan Warnes.